Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. That's right, it's Drive-by cinema. This is episode 35, as far as we can tell. In base and with me, And with me is my co-host, Paul. Hi, everybody. I'm Rick. Hello, everyone. Hello, Richard. Well, Paul. Yes. How are things this week? Oh, well, not too good, really. Do you have any corrections or additions? I just a moan, really. Oh. Yeah. Okay, well, this is the appropriate forum for you generalised moaning. Look. Fire away. Lockdown. It's been 12 months, Richard. I think you need to be more supportive about my uh, general... <laughs> about your mental health. I don't say mental health or mental unhealth. I'm going to moan, okay? Look, okay, so what's it called? Midsummer. An mm. eon back we watched. Yeah. Ariasta. Yep. And you were saying, oh, God, and, like, they, they drop the mushrooms and then she, like, sees her suffocated sister in the trees, like an apple. Yes. And I said, oh... Good, because I thought it might have been the bear from a Toblerone bar. Famously, it's a bear that appears in the middle of a mountain on the Toblerone bar. Oh. And you went, no, that's Switzerland, not Sweden. <laughs> yeah. How is that relevant? Okay. <laughs> How is that relevant? Like, was, was her sister from Sweden? <laughs> no, true. No, she wasn't from Sweden. She, she was American. Yeah. Oh, anyway, so on the Toblerone bar, it's a famous triumph of advertising packaging where the mountain, like, you know, mountain has snow and shadow, snow and shadow. The shadow is a silhouette relief of a bear. But why a bear? Why would a bear be an appropriate icon for, for a bit of chocolate? For Swiss chocolate, yeah. Because bears live up mountains. You eat chocolate when you go on the mountain <laughs> if you're not from Kendall. Bears, bears live up mountains. Is that is that true? Is that is that where bears live? I don't know. I suddenly feel very small. But anyway, that wasn't my point. My point you're, was about it's a good your observation, though. about your repressive police state tone. No, listen, you're you're right. That logos, some logos have kind of secret hidden or quasi hidden messages in them, don't they? Like the Amazon logo, which A to Z smile. goes A to Z with a smile with a smile. And an arrow from pointing from A to Z. So, a metaphor for the delivery, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's very clever. Well, Paul, I wonder, by the time we publish this episode, which is in about two weeks, I wonder if there will still be a ship, a container ship, blocking the Suez Canal. What's all that about, then? A container ship has got itself turned around in the... In the Suez Canal and gone broadside and it's good. blocking the whole thing. Intentionally or just being naff? Accidentally, so naff they heads. say. But it's stopping all traffic. Cool. I have to use the Panama Canal instead, won't I? Sorry, mate. <laughs> diversion. You have to go go across the ocean and use the Panama Canal instead, innit? Do you know... Well, I you left 4,000 miles. Recently. So we obviously share the same <laughs> twisted sense of humour. <laughs> Well, something weird is happening. We were agreeing on scores last week, and now we're agreeing on jokes. Something alien is happening here, Richard. But, you know, have you been wondering why they can't just turn it, like, around. Turn it around and turn it off? I didn't know. I, I Actually, I did see this headline, but I didn't pursue it. So, 
But it's been like this all week. Paul. I know it's been big news, but I've been watching some other news. There are a hundred ships, Fuck. minimum, waiting to go through the canal now. All full it's like of sixty on each side, sixty pointless consumer goods that we don't need. This is, this is well, lockdown has taught us this, yeah. surely hasn't it? That you know, you don't need to live a slow life to live a better life. You know, these people, these slow livers, uh, renounce everything that we don't really need. No, I mean, you don't need to go full lentil on it. But like, it's just made us realise just how little of life we need. In particular, I'm sorry to say, the modern pub, the modern gastro pub, the modern chain pub. We just don't need that experience in our lives anymore. Down with pubs. No, I mean, up with real pubs. Oh. Up with pubs that still have snugs. Up with pubs that have snooker tables and dartboards. But we don't need a managed experience where somebody puts what is essentially a shepherd's pie from Marks and Spencer in, in a microwave, <laughs> puts it on a table that's pine from 1990, and there are some agricultural implements that are never being used hanging from a wall nearby <laughs> in some faux rendering of some agricultural past that never exists and charges £12.95 for the experience, Richard. We don't need that in our lives, do we? I can think. I think I can square this all up. You know, there are companies which uh, whose sole purpose is to create and collate, like quasi uh, agricultural pub interior bric-a-brac. Let me stop. Okay, I agree. But just stop. Stop a second. When did traditional pubs ever ever have a plough on the wall? <laughs> Never. Well. <laughs> The fuck? Anyway, sorry, Rich, continue. So these companies that do all this crap, yeah. And yeah, so if you want to set up an Irish pub somewhere in the world, you order like an Irish pub full of bric-a-brac, and they'll pop it in a container ship. Unfortunately, it'll get stuck in the Suez Canal. But before that, you could have got a container load full of Irish bri- bric-a-brac <laughs> to authentically populate the interior of your new Irish pub. Oh, God. You know, those horse brasses, the plough, as you say, obviously. Why? Uh, I mean, like, I mean, I've been in really traditional pubs. I guess you have too, you know. And uh, they're charming because they don't have all this artificial crap on the walls, you know. I mean, yeah, you're right. They're they're business like places for the purpose of getting booze in people. They are very functional. They're, they're covered with a patina of nicotine from an era where you were allowed to smoke indoors. Precisely, they have a dartboard. You know, yeah. they have a snug maybe with sliding doors with privacy, you know, sliding kind of service doors. But all, all these, all these quenteries, all, all this. They have a confusing mismatch of floor coverings. Yes. One of which is almost certainly linoleum, rather tatty looking linoleum. And, you know, they have these little, these little quenteries, but they all have a use in a, or original function, you know, so it's completely different to this, these ridiculous microwave food factories that we go to. I mean, just go out Mars and Sparks and get the same shepherd's pie for two ninety five. I mean, why not? I mean And a bottle of ale. A bottle like of- I have right now. Because but you're not no. going to a social environment when you go to that kind of that kind of chain pub, are you? Only that which you take with well, you. Well you're gonna to speak to the people you go to the table with. And that's it. Yeah. Uh and somebody who takes your credit card at the end, you know, it's, it's not it's not a pub experience in any sense, is it? So I say, hooray to blockading canals. Let's have <laughs> let's have a forced return to meaningful spending. 
Well, it's going to have a big impact on the global economy. Isn't so it? Say. Wow. Yeah. What movie are we supposed <laughs> to be reviewing this week? Okay, I've got great news for you this week because we are reviewing a real classic classic. It is a Spaghetti Horror from 1977, going by the name of Suspiria. Yeah. And that means it's time for the music. Oh, okay. Nineteen seventy-seven, yes. fabulous year. The year Star Wars came out. Whoa! Two more different films you can't really imagine. <laughs> when did uh, Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta's movie come out? Was it seventy-seven also? We're talking about Greece here. The original oh. one, Greece, yeah, because there was that dance, disco dancing one, wasn't there as well? Uh, Saturday Night confess, Fever. I don't know. Saturday Night Fever. No, I think Greece came out first, didn't it? I think it was seventy-seven because. My dad said he was going to go. I remember that. I remember the evening. My dad said he was going to go to the gun shop. And so mum said, well, we're going to catch a movie. And then she took us in to watch King Kong, left us in there, although it was PG, and then nipped in the other screening and watched uh, the John Travolta movie. Cheeky thing. Should have two minors watching. I think King Kong was PG or or a fifteen with fifteen fifteen or parental guidance or something. It's funny you should say that because we just watched this week a Skeptics in the Pub talk given by someone who used to work at the BBFC, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, talking about how films get their certificates or their what used to be called their censoring. As I, as I found out, yeah. it's fascinating uh, presentation. Yeah, yeah, he didn't really go into. I mean, he skipped around. He didn't skip. He didn't avoid. But he skipped around the politics of of classification, didn't he? Sensibly, I imagine. I have not strongly wedded to it, but I am inclined toward a rather libertarian view. Oh yeah, that oh. no films should be certainly censored. Um, I don't like the chilling effect that submitting films and content to, to certification bodies have. Basically, I think my starting point is, would it really matter if kids saw an 18? Well, this one, Spirit, is definitely an 18 because I saw the classification. Although I'm not really sure why. Cause... Ah, well, hey, this film actually is on a list of films that I think got banned. nearly got banned. Uh, or, well, I think it may have been unbanned. Really? Why? Or, or something. This is a, an Italian spaghetti horror yeah. type, isn't it? As you mentioned. Yeah. And closely related in that sense to The Beyond, the film that you Mr. for a long time wanted us to watch. Yeah, and I, I never want to see it again. It's, it's not in the same class, really, of film, is it? Because no. The Beyond is filled with very regular and quite lurid uh, special <laughs> effects sequences <laughs> of people's faces melting. And you don't really get much of that in no, Suspiria. No. There's a bit more of a psychological thing going on and, and a much better plot in Suspiria. There is a, quite a lot of scare for the first two thirds of the movie. And then we kind of get an explainer with a third to go about what is why all this horror is happening. Why it's really going on. Yeah. yeah. And then after the explainer, we get an exposition of how to stop it all, maybe. And that's it, really. So it, it starts scary, but isn't scary at all at the end, unfortunately. Which I thought was a bit of a mistake. I think this movie is counted as being part of a sort of film school, which I think is referred to as giallo. I think that's the Italian pronunciation of it. Giallo. Uh, 
Giallo movies are suspenseful thrillers, crime dramas, I think, usually. Ah. They're not usually yeah, supernatural. Oh. So this is an unusual entrant into the Giallo genre. This is kind of cross-fertilizing, yeah. Yeah, but there is a sort of element of investigation going on, isn't it? Where we're following is, a character yeah. who's yeah. learning about this stuff. I think that's more like what the films are. But it's characterised by a very jarring soundtrack, the Giallo movies. And they're often scored by the same composers or bands. I really like this one. Now, this is Goblin. I think that's what they were called. Really? They did a really good job. It's a prog rock soundtrack. It is, but then on the end credits, it's prog rock that strangely pre-echoes a crazed kind of techno sound. The end credits, it's the same, it's the same theme, it's the same main theme, but it, it sounds a bit like techno. I thought these guys are amazing. Don't you hear them shouting the witch or something? The, <laughs> or something like that. But I read somewhere that it's an arrangement of a Philip Glass piece. I can, I can see that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the soundtrack is very striking. But the interesting thing about that, and the reason I mentioned the jarring soundtrack, mm. is... That's one of the things I noticed the instant this film started playing. Like in the, the Did you notice something else seconds. as well? What's that? The highly sophisticated use uh, throughout a set of either lots of red light bulbs uh, or sometimes yeah. lots of blue light bulbs. And towards the end, lots of yellow light bulbs or lots of orange light bulbs. And towards the very end, on the same set, one side it was lots of orange light bulbs or one side was lots of yellow light bulbs. So they bathe the entire set <laughs> in one colour. But it's obviously just done with coloured light bulbs. Well, I've got to stop you there, Paul, because it's not coloured light bulbs it looks in like the that. film industry, is it? In the film and theatre industry, coloured lighting is achieved with that by putting gel thing. acetates over yeah. the, the, the big the big lights, with the barn door things, isn't it? The TikTok uh, logo has it, doesn't it? <laughs> Where you combine the acetates to get those different colours. Yeah, yeah. But you're quite right, yeah, there's a very bold use of colour lighting. <sighs> Colored, or primary coloured light. Now, in the what I thought was interesting was Italian was the Memphis Design School, the postmodern design school from the early 80s, uh, which people probably have forgotten, but it was that kind of, the jazzy, you know, the kind of jazzy wallpapers that had like squiggles, like ethnic, like almost like ethnic squiggles of with pastels, but neon and pastel thrown together. And then very, very incongruous furniture Legs for tables that aren't legs. The angle poise lamp, the 80s angle poise lamp, where you, you kind of can pull it with a little metal... I can't explain it. I, I think everybody had the 80s angle poise lamp that was an angle poise lamp, where often in bright yellow. What I thought was, there was a lot of Memphis Design School pre-echoing, because I don't think it had occurred at that point, but so Sotsas... Uh, the Italian designer who led Memphis design was an Italian, you see. So, uh, but the colours of the doors in the school, the ballet school that we, you know, we go to, had this. It was, you know, kind of like this Art Deco pre-Memphis school feel to it all. Oh yeah, I mean, it's an Italian film by an Italian filmmaker, and he's got a real sense of style, mm-hmm. hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, the there's great architecture. I don't mind the red light bulbs everywhere. It does look good. Yeah. The location shoots are in some really interesting architectural bits, hmm. like the 
the ballet school. We haven't talked about the plot of this movie yet. We'll get there. Ballet school, but there's also they go into the city at one point, and they're in at the BMW building, which is an iconic that that modernist thing where she meets that old professor. I don't know. Really uh, when the explainer comes along. That's right. Hi, I'm That's on a right. YouTube Vox Pop. I'm just going to interview people outside the airport or BMW museum as it happens, whatever it is. <laughs> and they will yield answers on malefic witchcraft just by chance. <laughs> I mean, what was going on there? No, she knew. She met her friend, didn't oh, she? Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't guy, a YouTube a young guy. interview. She was doing <laughs> like. So, listen, the start of this movie... They weren't random people she met. A young American... A young American woman is arriving at Munich Airport. Guess what? It's raining. So what's she going to do? She's going to run to the taxi rank and not stand under the veranda, the concrete <laughs> 70s like architecture, brutalist veranda. No. She's going to stand in the rain and get completely wet. Yeah, that's normal. And it's movie rain, isn't it? You, you know, movie rain is much, you know, they have to really hammer artificial like spray down on people because normal rain is basically invisible on film. Yeah. So movie rain is really. Oh, hard. that's why she gets wet because yeah. it's not real rain. That's why she's drenched, like a yeah, drenched. Rain. And then amazingly, the taxi driver takes her when she's wet through. That's normal. So, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, Americans. Gosh, she's in Germany, and she's come to Germany because she's coming to a very famous, apparently, ballet school. Although interesting, in when she when she Hence eventually arrives at the school. When she when she eventually arrives at the school, somebody's the, running away, uh, screaming. The woman, no, 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 not, a little bit later, when she's being introduced and shown around, yeah. that that rather tough-looking woman who's at the school, she says, "We don't teach teach you to dance here because we assume you already know how to do she it." She does say that, yeah. Which is an interesting didactic approach to take, isn't it? Well, apparently it's the same for high-level uh, Japanese universities, isn't it? It's the same at Oxbridge, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't go to Oxbridge to study. You've studied for 18 years before that, so pretty much you could probably get through on what you know for the first two years. Moreover, you're not going to get any kind of teaching to help you, are you? I mean, <laughs> yeah. there are clever people there, but they're not, they're they're not, not they're gifted. <laughs> okay, they're, they're not pedagogues, let's put it that way. Look, <laughs> I mean... Uh, look, okay, but I mean, worse than that is, you know, the famous Tokyo universities where you literally, if you get in, you do not do an inch of work afterwards. It's literally three years to get your brain back. What, like a diploma? No, because it's so competitive. It used to be. Not so much anymore, but 10, 15 years, up to 10, 15 years ago. To get into the best talking universities, you know, you had to commit to 16 hours, 14 hours of study a day until you to age 18. So obviously, mm. you know a lot more than what you need to know to pass your high school exams. So... The, the first thing to say, you could probably get the first two years of degree with what you know, but then you got there, so it's obvious that you're good. So why, the, you know, the university doesn't actually ask anything of you once you're in, kind of thing. So you don't need to study. You're going to pass anyway. Like, they'll just pass you, kind of thing. And Oxbridge, very similar. Sorry to go on. What was he called? Josephson. Uh, the guy who he pioneered lots of silicon circuitry. You know the yes, quantum is it quantum level bridge, yeah. quantum level as, aspects of silicon circuitry, uh, and then apocryphally, I don't want to get sued here. Spent most of his time trying to transmutate with the photocopier. Transmutate? Yeah, he would try and levitate in front of the photocopier and become part of it. I have that <laughs> fairly good authority. You know, he's a tenured professor, so he's not going to teach you much, <laughs> is he? Or, well, he might teach you the folly of his ways. 
Do you remember the political party that ran with an idea of teaching people yogic flying? <laughs> yes. What were they called? The re re. Oh, I do remember their name. <laughs> and all of their whatever. This their... is just before David Icke, wasn't it? And they, they would have a load of mattresses out on the floor and they'd be in the lotus position sort of bouncing around <laughs> on the mattresses. <laughs> anyway, so to get back to Oxford, Oxford and Cambridge, yeah. I, mean, I think like in the late 80s, early 90s, in today's money, uh, a science undergraduate costs the taxpayer in today's money about £45,000 a year. And what what did they and the taxpayer get for that? Mostly a textbook list, yeah. <laughs> copious notes that were dense, arcane, difficult to get through. And if they asked for any help during a laboratory or you know laboratory session, would be told to go and read it again. You haven't thought about it hard enough. I mean, the only help <laughs> you could really get was in something called a supervision or a tutorial. Yeah, where if you'd done the work, they would tell you what you'd done wrong. <laughs> and it, you know, I, I I look now at the at the kind of YouTube stuff where students openly show their life in Oxford and Cambridge, and it has improved immeasurably. Now I'm all for the unionisation of professorships and and lecturers in higher education, but in the 80s and 90s, they were simply, the aspect of their work where they have to teach young people and enthuse young people about the subject, they just weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing, Richard. Let's be honest about it. The problem is that they're wasting their time dreaming up vaccines in these kind of places. Well, they've got work to do, yeah. They've got real work to do. that kind of thing? I know they've got real work to do, you know, and teaching just... And they're not trained teachers. They they're not pedagogues. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, they're not trained teachers. Yeah. And clever people, clever people like that, clever don't make good teachers. Unfortunately, never will do. So what you really need is a class, a class of teachers who are teachers in there. Well, I was going to say the the idea that they've always had is that the kind of students they attract, autodidacts and and don't need to be taught. They will have taught themselves. Yeah, but the thing is, I mean, you don't need a professor to teach first year biology undergraduate biology you know you don't need a professor to teach people how to reference an essay you don't need a professor to teach you know second year english students about the rudimentary aspects of freud you know none of this is necessary they can go and do their research work you know and it's and i think to some extent they have improved that and it's got worse for people doing it because now i think a lot of the educators the teaching side of these of our of our Bespoke universities, they're essentially zero-hour contracted workers, aren't they, these days? Which is unfortunate. But the teaching quality certainly has improved for whatever reason. So yes, autodidacts. The idea was, wheat and chaff, I think, is that the only reason we want these people is not that so that they can enthuse about their subject. Ideas of liberal education, you know, liberal philosophy, take on board great, better ways of thinking and become successful in whatever area of life they're going to. The only reason we want is to pick out two people out of a hundred of these people to do a PhD in their subject. <laughs> the harder we make it, the less we help them, the less we spend on it, the better for us. Because it's like if you're in a call centre, you've got a hundred calls to make. Do like Because I used to run a call centre, and the one thing I said to people that had made good sales and I thought could understand the concept was, this is a stream that gets smaller as it gets to the estuary. 
the quicker you make it smaller, the better. You've got 100 people to call. You must call them all. And the best that you can do is get off the call with the 95 people you can't make a sale with. Hmm. And salespeople, qualifying out. salespeople cannot make that connection for maybe one or two years of their lives, you know. It's only when they make successful sales for one or two years that they get it. It's like, I've got to be able to sale bar, prospect or not through my mirror matching, my hot spotting, whatever, whatever techniques you're doing, interest questions, however you identify, prospect or not, keep everybody else out the door. And fair enough, I think Oxford and Cambridge did that for a long time, was, was expressly going to make this difficult. You are an autodidact, but we're going to make it worse. We're going to ask you to go to 12 different sites during the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to give you textbooks that are impossible to get through. For example, math and math and mathematical methods for physics by Arfkin. <laughs> Presents the information in the most logically positive, abstract way. Like, almost like you would do to, to mathematicians. It's not, it's not mathematics presented to scientists. It's, it's presented yes, yeah. in a formal, formal way with formal proofs. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Just to make it difficult, you know. People that got through that system, it's like, not th- I didn't get a third or a second. I got secondary psychological burns. I got third degree psychological burns from this, you know. I think people wear their illnesses that they come out of these these elite universities with as a trophy, and quite rightly so, because it's punishing. Oh, it was. I don't think it is anymore. I think there's an idea now that one. The, well, the, the student is the client now. The background of many students these days imply they don't have a confidence level that even if they were auto, well, they obviously are. If they come from those backgrounds, they've got that. They obviously are autodidacts, but confidence levels that they have don't allow them to engage in, the, in, in in a healthy way or in a studiously healthy way to get the results that the university and, and they want you know so i think there's a different perspective now about making it difficult doesn't necessarily get you the best students but there we go so what the hell are we talking our about? hero we're talking about suspiria what's the girl's name susie she dies she, susie what no somebody dies susie dies so she arrives at the ballet school Eventually. in the taxi in the pouring rain. She's only got two bags with her, which is not very many, is it, for coming to an entire I don't you know, know. ballet school. I think people used to for... turn up with a trunk and a suitcase, and that was it, Richard. Think okay. about it. Think about when you headed off to college. How much did you take down? Like a car full. A car full. Did you go in the car? Yeah. You went on the train. Sometimes, yeah. Anyway, she arrives there in the pouring rain, improperly dressed, by the way. I suppose she just got off a plane. It's not uncommon. But why didn't she have a coat at the very least? Uh, she arrives there, and there's a, as you say, there's a girl coming out who's, of the building. Who's doing the Spice Girls movie where they run downstairs with the wolves? <laughs> with the wolves? <laughs> what What would with the wolves? Well, this Time to Say Goodbye movie. Oh. Who don't, you're not a Spice Girls fan, are you? No, I am a Spice Girls no, fan. no, no, no. It's like, oh, I'm a, we still like you, we still like his posh, or was it Ginger, the one who left. And they're like going, I'm time will never change the love we had for Melanie Chisholm. And the, the ice and chandeliers are falling from the ceiling, and they're walking down the steps to say goodbye to their group. Oh my gosh, tears. And there's wolves walking down with them, and they're all dressed up in fake furs, obviously, not real furs, but I thought it was that. It was like Spice Girls video. She's running. I imagine you're a scary Spice fan. Mm, a bit. 
Sporty Scary, torn between the two. Okay. Oh, Sporty, yeah, it would make sense for you as well, wouldn't it? So, anyway, there's a girl coming out of the ballet college, and she tries to get in, but this other girl runs away somewhere else, not quite sure. Screaming. Uh, and they won't let her in for some reason. There's a, a voice on the other side that tells her, you know, come, go away. Was she an American too? Maybe. I think... Now, so this... I got very confused at this point because the girl we were following from the airport gets Susie. back in the taxi and drives away. She does what she, she did that for because she's freaked out by... Well, she can't get in. She can't. Oh, that's right. The, they don't open the door the for her. And meanwhile, the girl who we saw coming out... has gone back in again. ...is now who we switched... No, it's now who we twitched, switched to. Yeah, she, she's now in her dormitory. Was that a flashback or has she gone back in? We don't know. I didn't understand. Yeah. I was actually confused. I thought we were still with Susie. Oh. Not realising that she changed her hair from brunette to blonde <laughs> now. Anyway, she's blonde and she's in her dormitory. There's another girl there. She seems to be distressed and upset about something. It's not quite clear. Who knows what? Maybe boyfriend. Probably not, but... And at some point she's distracted by something in the window, isn't so she? So guess what? She goes and looks at it. And... Outside the window, on a little wire, is, and this is odd considering it's absolutely pissing down, remember, is kind of some clothing dry, that's drying. Yeah, or not drying. I, I want to use the word sat, satin slip, but I don't know what one is. Not drying, but or meant chiffon. to be drying, I think is the accurate term. Yeah. But why would you leave them outside in the rain? Yeah, happens. Something is visible through this sheer fabric, Ooh. I think, on the other side. It's dark what outside it as be? well. You can't really see. Could it be a peeping Tom, she's perhaps? Suddenly, and this is quite shocking, the window breaks and an arm reaches through. Oh my gosh. Grabs her. Grabs her. And, she, and I think it pulls her face against the glass. And then inventively it? kills her in several ways. Like she's dead already, but then he hangs her. He starts stabbing. You see a lot of quite slow stabbing. Yeah. Quite slow like stabbing. Like quite indulgent, yeah. This bit is quite fulch. This bit is a bit fulchy. Yeah. Argento is the director? Dario Argento, yeah. And then you see her being body... Being strung up. Yeah, being strung up. And, and it the floor falls through. through. Or fl- falls, this, comes through the glass atrium ceiling. Glass ceiling of the atrium. Yeah, yes. wow, That's weird. Right. But intensely intricate. It's a very stylish and beautiful shot. As she it? descends, she hurtles down with the, with, the, with the rope around her neck. And then yeah. comes to a you know a shuddering halt just inches before the floor kind of thing. It's all very stylish, yeah, very choreographed. And the girl who was watching, she gets hit by glass or something. I think she dies as oh, well. Oh no! The girl down below. Heck you. But I saw this film described as the most beautiful horror film ever made. Oh, and I think that might That's, be true. Depends if you like primary colours. I mean, this is very elegant like death. Yeah, this is beautifully choreographed. Not a doubt about it. You know. I think you're right, yeah. But it's not it's not just that scene, the whole film. Beautiful shot, yeah. I mean that building, the ballet school is quite an interesting you don't see very much of it, but it's quite an interesting building from the outside. And then the interior is chock full of all kinds of weird and architectural observances, isn't it? It reminded me of a Gaudi building. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you on that. You know, it's got some like very organic shapes and stuff and it. It, it, it's very stylish. Candy coloured is how it was described in one review, which I would agree with. And all the interior doors have got those little windows above them with a sort of scallop shape. Oh, do it's you know beautiful. What yeah. those, do you know what those windows are called? No, I don't. Should I? Oh. I had to look this up because I was fascinated well, by they're it. They're posh, posh windows, I think it's quite called. 
one word for them is fanlight. And ah. I think this is more of a UK word because the ones in Britain are often shaped like a fan or like a peacock tail. Yes, I know what you're talking about. And it's, a, it's a very Georgian idea. And you do know what I'm talking about because there's a very famous door that has a fanlight like that over it that we, we all see Number quite 10. frequently. Number 10, yeah. yeah. Classic Georgian terrace with a fanlight over the door. They're also called transom windows. Ah, yes, I know the name. Yeah, yeah I've heard of that before. Here's a really weird fact that I discovered. The French word for them is, and I'm going to mispronounce this, obviously, is vasista. Can you spell that, Rich, rather than pronounce that? V-A-S-I-S-T-A-S. V-A-S-I-S-T-A-S. Vasista. That's not even French, is it? No, it sounds like German. It sounds like someone asking, what is that? Fascistas. <laughs> so you can imagine someone, asks some, someone pointing to the window over the door, what is that? Fascistas. <laughs> okay, now the style doesn't continue with the older ladies in the cast, unfortunately. We've got like an Olga, like a James Bond Olga, Olga villain in a, in a suit, strong elder kind of, dare I say, masculine lady. People would talk about heterotypical behaviors yeah uh and then we've got the other like the mistress i guess of the whole ballet school who's more neatly suited and but not stylish kind of dowdy these two yeah would you say yes but anyway she comes back the next day not knowing about this murder so our susie and, the, and she knocks on the door this time they open up and it's like oh my god sorry there's been a murder and not related to that we don't have a room for you which is why we didn't let you in last night anyway and they're a bit grabby the locals she's like well, we haven't got a room, but ask this student. She'll she'll give you a room for like $1,000 a month, which is a ridiculous price, but it's nice. She's also introduced But wait, to... wait, wait. So they charge, like, they're grabbing her money from, maybe because she's American, they're grabbing her money for the room that she, <laughs> she shouldn't have to pay for anyway because they haven't provided the lodging that they're supposed to. And then like, oh, you need to borrow some shoes. And they charge you for borrowing some shoes as well. Like, it's not, uh, very, no. not very welcoming, are they? Really grabby. No, she did say that they would refund but st- her. I, yeah, I know, but that's still grabby. It's like, oh, you pay first, we might refund you. But, and the other thing is, why did she go to the school without ballet shoes? She's going to a freaking ballet school. <laughs> did she think she wouldn't need them? <laughs> I don't know. But then, like, they kind of pick on the Americans because there's, there's a girl called Sarah and a girl called Susie. And the local girl's like, oh, did you know that girls would be the days beginning with an S are snakes, actually? And then she hisses at them, and then they stick out their tongue back at her. And this goes on three or four times, like ricochet. And it's just a very strange moment. So maybe they just don't like Americans, I don't know. Jessica <laughs> Harper is a star, and she was dressed up to look a lot younger. She was, you know, mutton dresses lamp for this movie, so. Oh, you that, that, In the review that I read, it's not my opinion. <laughs> So, there you go. Now, in uh, Fulci's... Uh, we watched Fulci, what, The Beyond, was it? We had a blind man and a dog, didn't we? Playing the piano. This also has a blind man. Playing the man piano, dog, yeah. with a dog. And in this movie, <laughs> the dog sets on the blind man. And in that movie, the dog attacks the blind man too. Is that all right? Do you think there's a particular fear in the Italian cycle? I think this, yeah, this could be... by your own guide This dog. could be some sort of Jungian... Jungian Italian archetype here. But blind men and dogs, you know, weird. Now, I must say, I, I thought a lot of the dialogue to start with between the ladies in the ballet school... Sounded like it was dubbed. 
I think the whole thing was dumped. <laughs> I think it's all ADR'd. But I, I thought initially that it sounded like the kind of dialogue a man would write for women. Yes. There was a lot of sniping and backstabby type stuff. And as you say, they're selling one another ballet shoes. So you have problems like with the way women presented in the movie, Richard. But it turns out, actually, it, it was co-written by Dar- Dario and His uh, a woman called Dario. It would just be a pen name for himself. No, no. Definitely a woman. Oh. And she actually appears in the airport. She was going to have the lead role, but I think she's even older than the actor actually. But you, I mean, women at that era were still right for a male audience, wouldn't they? Probably. Probably so, yeah. She is introduced as well to the handyman. I think, what's his name? Carlos. The yeah. Romanian guy. This is after, like, oh, like, by yeah. the way, somebody's died last night here, yeah. That's it, yeah. And he's a bit of a your classic Igor character, isn't he? Well, there's he? quite he's a lot a bit... of Igor, Igor-type people here. Uh, there's the old lady as well, who's a bit weird. And yeah, funny. she's like a babushka, like a Russian babushka woman who has yeah. the keys to your room in a hotel in Russia, if anybody's ever done that. And then there's a little boy, a mute boy in, in, in page boy suit, who's like weird. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. And the blind piano man as well. But apparently Carlos the Romanian has false teeth, they explain. That explains it's everything, really, doesn't it? Caused him to lose all his teeth. She starts doing a normal dancey stuff. Now, unlike do. Climax, yeah. unlike Climax with its 40-odd minutes of exciting urban dance, we don't really see very much dancing, do we, in, in Suspiria? There's the occasional rehearsal room scene where they're leaping around, but very, very little of actual ballet seems to be going on. As Olga says, they don't really teach ballet, so perhaps they shouldn't have expected Now, Richard, that. you were saying the other week, I don't, I'm not sure what movie we're watching, about acid trips and ballet dancers, that dancers are fit people. Yes. And you're right. Why not? And, and to that extent, I thought, well, I'll go and check out some ballet dancers on the YouTube. And I oh, did really? Do. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, you know, I typed in ballet dancers, and guess what? I got through to a guy called Tristan Simpson. <laughs> Tristan Simpson. Yeah, reading your assumptions about male ballet dancers, and I watched a few of his posts, which were interesting. And then Escuela Tepiscore. I watched these two. And weirdly, I got onto the size of his junk. Now, I have to say, he was like saying, actually, you know, our junk isn't that big. It's just, just how it is. They wear very fitting, form-fitting clothing. Yeah, but weirdly, he it, it was really fit. We went through this whole day, and you know. But he got onto his junk. This is a question that people ask. He's like, you know, why is your junk so big? Is it do ballet dancers have really big junk? And he's like, no. But we do sometimes put stuff down there not to make it bigger, but because the tights are so tight, sometimes the contours are ugly. So we'll smooth out the contour, but it doesn't make it look bigger. Perhaps uh, he said, but that's. That depends on, you know, your angle of your dangle kind of thing. It's all quite complex, isn't it? Because you know, if it's if it's a big weighty trunk, it tend, the angle dangle you know, it tends to drag itself down in a more less noticeable way. So usually if it's really big, it's, it passes the is it too too big and unsightly kind of thing. But then, like so then he started, you know, doing his splits and showing off his junk. And I have to say, it did look a bit oversized. But in particular, uh Esquella Terpiscori, you know, just ugly sized junk really so I think people might be right you know I think maybe male ballet dancers junk is too big atypically big perhaps well I mean that's one reason for going isn't it but yeah you think because it just looks ugly doesn't it you think they'd just smooth it out somehow well since you you don't want to see all that jangling in the middle of Swan Lake do you 
since he brought us onto the subject of sex and this film, I did well, find myself wondering whether I was supposed to be masturbating through large Jesus. Well, look, okay, look, okay. So somebody dies and they're like, you ain't got a room. So then she goes, I thought it was lesbo action, lesbo action going to happen because she goes... The to, whole thing is to, like the setup for a porno. It is. No, it's worse than that. It's more than that and everything. Because you know? then she goes and stays in a really nice apartment she's paying for with, like, I guess, like a local person. And I thought, wow, there's lots of like, they get really intimate. I thought, oh God, they're going to start, you know, doing girl on girl kissing. And they don't. And then the shy ballet dancer boy, who I think is supposed to be local in German, comes up. And you think, wow, he's really shy and really into her. And they, they, the other girl says, oh, he's really into you. And they don't get it on. And no. then at some point, maggots fall from the ceiling. And instead of sleeping in their rooms, they they do like a, a hospital dorm kind of thing, an emergency dorm in yeah. the gym or something. They have a, a massive and sleepover. And all the girls are sleeping downstairs and all the boys can like look, right. look through them. And you think, oh my God, it's going to turn into Porky's, you know... <laughs> It's either, or a porn or porkies, you know. And it doesn't happen at any point. That's right. Constantly thwarted, yes. yeah, yeah. So I think but you are supposed to be frustrated and yeah. sort of, you know, <laughs> tugging along when they're going to, uh, you know. I, can't I was expecting at any moment to see quite a lot of 1970s pubic hair, you know, of the kind you don't see that often these days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it never happened. Every turn. No, it didn't. Yeah. But it was quite sensual. It, it did look a bit like the beginning of a porn or a porkies kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you've covered the main points there, haven't you? The maggots falling, the sleepover, and then there's these hints at something going on. So they refer to someone called a directress. Yes, and... Then they listen to the footsteps. Now, this is after the piano man has said, I might be blind, but I'm not deaf. Does that mean he knows something? Because later, we have to listen to the footsteps of where people are going to realise they're not going down the corridor. Yeah. She was told that all the staff leave at 9pm every night. But did the piano man know that? Because he's not blind, because he's blind, but not deaf. He must have, you see. And is that why he dies? Because he gets killed, doesn't he, by his own dog? In a very, very long sequence. It has no reason to be there. In a completely deserted uh, square. What is all that doing? Why? Yeah. And a a very torturously long sequence where you see him standing in the square, you know, who's there kind of thing. Nobody's what's happening. His dog's 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 by his side. (laughs) Eventually, the dog attacks him. Eventually, the dog. In quite an inventive scene, the dog goes through his throat. And you see, I think a dog hand puppet like, eating his uh, his throat, don't you? And then on the long shots, you see a dog wagging his tail and like licking somebody. And then a local gendarme <laughs> arrive and stop. And the dog pisses off, yeah. Yeah, so what's all that? Well, he dies. He's been thrown out because his dog apparently attacked the little page boy. But they didn't really. Some natu- evil spirit is infecting them all and making these things yes. happen. We're so, let's presume. Okay, so, so, but the, his words saying, you know, ah, I'm, I might be blind, but I'm not deaf, indicates that you can hear something that would give you access to a secret. And they later learn that if they listen carefully, they can work out that the footsteps downstairs are not going down the corridor. They're going to a secret place that's a different direction. And they think this might lead them to the directress. Because when they're not having sex in the dorm, in the communal dorm, when maggots are falling from the ceiling, and the boys and the girls don't get it on, there's lots of uh, highly coloured, I think it's red coloured cheating hanging. Yes. <laughs> like, like, like elegant hospital 
bed separators. I don't know what you call those sheets that separate hospital. Privacy screens. Privacy curtains or whatever. But the directress apparently is breathing and snoring behind one of them. So we know she exists. And uh, so, so one of the girls listens to the footsteps and decides to... Climb through a window. Why the fuck is she climbing out the window? That's Sarah, isn't it? Sarah. Yeah. And she falls on some hay. Why the hell did she fall on hay? It's not hay. What is, is it? it? What's going on? It's coils of barbed wire, is it? Whatever. It? Anyway, she doesn't find the directress and she dies. The, she only did that after. She was in a room and she closed the door on the latch behind her. <laughs> and then someone sticks a butter knife through the door <laughs> to lift the latch. But they're not very good at doing it. It takes them about five minutes conservatively of continually trying to lift the latch up. But when did the bat arrive? They... Oh, the oh, bat's yeah, she... later. That's right. And she hits a bat with a chair, doesn't she? Now, this was she... good. This is like, you know, bats versus towel. <laughs> score zero to one. Bats versus towel and the upside down chair seat. Game over. Finish that bat. <laughs> it was amazing. I think bats are endangered species. They shouldn't be hitting them with chairs. But that was Susie herself. This was after her mate Sarah, you know, tried to follow the footsteps and failed. Then the bat comes in because Susie, our protagonist, is onto something. She's washed away all the food they're giving her, and the wine. They give her wine that's not wine because it doesn't wash away in the wash basin. So she knows something's up. Yeah, that's a bit odd. She knows that something's up. They're poisoning her, so she stops eating and drinking that food. And that means that she's able to stay awake. And follow the footsteps. Exploring. And then she comes across a very complex cipher. More complex than the the movie we watched last week, which was The Signal, where uh, we've got some really complex ciphers going on here. Here, she's got a blue key, a yellow key, and a red key. The the pseudo acetate, I think, actually helps us signal that, you know. (laughs) We've got some lighting. She'd been told about the irises as the secret, hadn't she? The blue, the blue. So she picks the blue, blue. And she turns the blue key and opens the blue door. It's like play school, you know, or, or play away, you know. What does she find? What's for? through the triangle window? What's through the square window? What's through the blue door? Well, she cracks this complex code that blue opens blue. And what's through there? Through there is a massive underworld that isn't the 1990s club scene from London. Just a giant, giant alternate power structure. And it's a coven. It's a coven. She finds a coven. That's right. She knows she that because finds... 10 minutes previously, she'd been back into Munich outside some very beautiful architecture and done her vox pop and found people that told her that malefic witchcraft involved covens. And a coven with no leader was useless. And that's the legend of the Black he, Queen. That's right. He, he'd given her some very good advice, hadn't he? Like a headless co- cobra. Harmless. <laughs> Harmless. <laughs> Harmless. I mean, anything headless is pretty harmless. Fairly harmless, yeah, unless it runs into you, panicking. Uh, like a headless elephant, you know, might do some damage, I imagine. Headless bus driver, that's dangerous because he might crash the bus. Suddenly headless bus driver. So she's she finds the directress who is this Rasping. ancient kind of Rasping. revenant. Well, a very loud woman. snorer, yeah. What what was the purpose of this whole witch coven thing? I don't know, but she destroyed it pretty quickly. She discovers it and then it blows up. How does she blow it up? All the bric-a-brac in that room gets exploded, doesn't it? That's an and entire, the people explode too. That's an entire fake pub's worth of bric-a-brac. But how, does she, how does she destroy it? What does she do? Does she activate some magic spell? Doesn't she put... She puts that peacock feather pin oh. through the eye of this 
Phantom Revenant? The Iris, the Iris. <laughs> There's immediate and sudden insight that she has, and she manages to blow everybody up. And it's a bit like the UK twilight industry in the 1980s. Just everything just goes boom, 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 boom and disappears. And she manages to escape the uh, academy, although inappropriately dressed again, I know. I mean, if you kind of run away into the night, you need to uh, a bit better dressed. So summarises movies. Somebody died. Is she American? Yeah. More Americans arrived. Are they next? Probably. Yeah. Uh, A blind man gets it uh, from his own dog. And uh, people climb through a window, not into straw, but into, what did you say? Into barbed wire? Why the fuck? I, th- I think it was barbed wire. If you listen had to no footsteps, you can follow them. Don't follow them because you'll go to a netherworld that is actually a coven that explodes once you discover it. So we don't want to happen to happen to witches. Don't discover witches. They explode. Is that is that <laughs> is that it? Is that the movie? So what we take away from this movie? How fire! Well, what do you think, Paul? Should we do? Should we do scores? But what? Can I just give you some trivia before we do that? Okay, this oh, okay. movie is based on. A real story. Quiz-wise. Quiz-wise for you. This movie is based on Thomas de Quincey's Suspidade Profundi. Profundis. Genitive case. I wonder what in that story the purpose of setting up a dance academy and a cult (laughs) coven was. Well, I think think we know Thomas for his more famous, not movie, because they didn't make movies back then. Novel, I guess. Novella. Confessions of an Opium Eater. It sounds like climax. And this is his work after following that, you know, his follow up. This is his like sequel, Suspenade Profundis, which is a set of really quite turgid by the titles. Because I looked into the titles, there are about 20 or 30, 32, but not finished, short stories and uh, prose poems. The first prose poem, Allen Ginsberg, Eat Your Heart Out. Okay, so, you know, uh, an opium druggy writing turgid, long poetry that doesn't rhyme because he's too stoned. And Suspenade Profundis means size of the deep. And it's based on one of the short stories in there, one of them that was finished. That's it, really. That's my only trivia. So what would you give the... Oh, let me just reach my scores, if you don't mind. Okay. Allowing for the dubbing, I gave it a five, Richard. Which means a three, but I'm going to give it five because I understand that dubbing does take something away. Yeah. Obviously, things have changed, haven't they? Sensibilities are a bit different. Our understanding of what naturalism is like is yeah. different from how it was in the 1970s. I think I think when the Olga lady throws out the blind guy, their anger, I think at the time, was supposed to be like, yeah, we're showing how people get really angry on film. It's energy, yeah. This energy. Drama look at this, energy. Look at the drama school energy. And now it just likes people not just overacting, but being really stale. Um, yeah. Be generous. If I'll give. I'll give it a six. I'll give it a six. Whoa, that's too generous. I think. But thank you. <laughs> what about the scare factor? Well, I'll be honest. This was scary at the beginning. Yeah. When she arrived, classic, classic seventies vampire at the windows kind of stuff. It wasn't vampires, but it was something that really worked. That initial murder was never really explained. Who was supposed to have killed? Oh, her? like the rest of the movie was explained. <laughs> whose hairy arm was it coming through the window I think we're supposed to assume it's supernatural no isn't it, isn't it Carlos the Romanian the handyman ah uh, Dracula Romanians are Transylvania <laughs> I don't it's quite know. racist isn't it this yeah. film 
It was the 1970s. It was a racist time. Look, what we, what we, what we, oh, the jumps, jump scares. I think the beginning scored a seven. And then because it turned into a different kind of film, like an investigative supernatural detective story towards the end, we very little scariest. It wasn't scary. So a five in the end. What about you, Rich? Difficult. Yeah, because, I mean, it may have been... It was very pretty. Very pretty, yeah. It, as I say, a beautiful, the, perhaps the most beautiful horror movie. But it's a bit jarring, isn't it? When you're expecting pornography and you're getting people being stabbed, I don't know whether that enhances the horror or diminishes it. Unless you've got very specific tastes, I think it diminishes it. <laughs> I'll give it a five. Yeah, why not? What about the plot, Richard? This is the weakest bit for me, isn't oh, yeah. it? Like I said, there's huge bits that are properly unexplained or only alluded. Well, we to. get this explainer at the end, or a quarter, three quarters of the way through. It doesn't explain anything. No, in a way, it's a bit like Harry Potter, isn't it? Like this young student goes to the mystical school and discovers the secrets in the basement. <laughs> it is a bit, yeah. But I think explainers in Harry Potter come at a better time, don't they? Like halfway through the movie, or you know. <laughs> No, we've watched something that doesn't make sense. And oh, by the way, let me explain why it didn't make sense. Movie's over. You know, a four for me, which is generous. Yes, I think you're right with a four. So I'll, I'll follow suit. I'll what about soundtrack and effects? Oh well, not trying to make it up score here, but this, look, the, the the sound mixing, particularly at the start, was something I'm completely unused to. Hmm. I mean, again, it's probably a stylistic thing. At the time, but there was some really jarring kind of counter like that sound. The prog rock soundtrack. Well, I mean, it was interesting, but it was really the same song over and over again, wasn't it? All it was, through? but a techno version at <laughs> the end, which I thought was like from the future. It's interesting, isn't it? I'll give it. A six. And the effects? You didn't think they were impressive? The initial oh, the hanging. Um, there's a lot of that kind of very fakey looking blood going on, isn't mm. there? Where where it's been used, but you know it's quite restrained in a lot of places. Not so restrained that this film didn't always get banned. Yeah. Why? What's scary about it? I mean, what's sorry? What's what's grotesque about it? What's gory about it? Nothing. Why did it get banned? There's that bit at the end when the revenant old woman appears, isn't there? It's a bit of. I mean, okay, I'll give it a six. I scored six actually. Overall, faint praise six. Does it deserve its reputation as a classic classic? No, it deserves its reputation as Rocky Horror Show cult classic. Okay, I, so, yeah. So bad. It's not so not so bad. It's good. So ragged. It's campy. So ragged and campy. It's good. It's not bad. Good. It's not like that kind of bad. Good. It's like Rocky Horror Show. You know. It's like it's very different. It's good kind of thing. I'll give it a seven. I think overall. Hmm. Whoa! I, I didn't think we'd come to that conclusion, which is kind of was suggesting people should watch this. I, I was never bored watching this, it. let me put it this way. No, no, exactly. I think it is a worthwhile watch, and people reference it a lot. And I'm sure there's a lot you get out of it in, in, in as an, an influence, as it were. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, things have changed, haven't they? <laughs> things have changed it's, since we were watching girls in swimming suits swimming around in their ballet school. <laughs> yes, things have changed. I mean, recently... Because I'm back to the UK, I'm new. I'm fresh off the boat, you know, and I'm back to the UK. I haven't had a TV license for a long time. I've got a TV license now, and I'm watching TV. And uh, on Sky Arts, which is their free Sky channel, apart from Sky News, there's lots of tales of the unexpected. And <laughs> I used to love it as a kid. 
I used to love yes. it as an eight, was an eight-year-old or nine-year-old. It was like the one thing that I wanted to watch. After, I agree. I post, post, post Blue Peter, like the I, as a kid, I had the inverse watershed. I.e., I wasn't interested. I think after five thirty-five, you know, yeah. apart from tells the unexpected and the young ones, and the young ones on quite late. I got used to get permission on a Tuesday night to stay up and watch it because I think it was on at nine thirty or ten, which aside from the summertime was past my bedtime. But apart from that, it was the only two things I watched on TV. It tells the unexpected and the young ones. Like after five thirty, one of the kids' programs end, and uh, I used to love Tales of the Unexpected, and now watching it, Richard, it is so terrible, abominably, bad. It's just <laughs> really, really bad. I used to think the twists were amazing. They are <laughs> so naff. They're naff beyond belief. I can well believe. But that. were they naff in nineteen eighty two or whatever? I mean, to a young mind as well. You no, know, but was it laughably was it laugh, was it laughably bad for adults back then? It wasn't. It doesn't seem to have uh, been considered a total classic, does it? Tales of but the Roald Dahl Spectre. wrote the first series, didn't he? I think. Oh right. Okay, maybe. I'm not. Sure. I'm watching the stuff from 1983. I'm watching the back end. I'm watching the tail end. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, coming. Well, it was, you know, it had jumped the shark. Haley's is gone. You know, I'm just watching the tail end. Of it, but. But it's, it's pretty. It has, it's pretty darn bad. So I think in that respect, this movie holds up quite well. I never really thought this is so so bad for this movie. What movie are we going to watch next week? Oh, right. That's a good question. You put me on the spot because I did. I did pick two out, but I've just closed my my notepad, Richard. So give me one second if you don't mind. Well, how about I suggest? Because it's no, probably no, no. my turn. No. Okay, I've got two for you. Okay. Monster Squad, which is a kid pretend horror adventure. I can see you grimacing at that. Or Passengers, which is relatively recent and is sci-fi. So take your pick. Yeah, it's sci-fi with Chris Pratt, is it? It is Chris Pratt, yeah. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy and all that stuff. Let's do Passengers. (sighs) Nice choice. All right. Not that I was giving you a false false choice, but I thought you were. Well, we're out of time. And we, yeah. it's time to say goodbye. Here's the music. And see you in the next one. Two, two and one. one.